us bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear gracious Father in heaven, we bow before you again this beautiful Lord's Day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather as fellow believers to worship you. I just pray you would help us to have worship that be acceptable to you. I just thank you now for the message you have laid on Lester's heart. May you be with him as he shares it with us. May you help us to have open ears and hearts to what you have for us this morning. I just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Greetings and a welcome to each of you. It's good to see some of you choosing to come and visit us here. It seems in the summer months, school's out and plenty of our own people are traveling and going places. And thank you for coming and, and being with us, those who are visitors. And welcome to each one. I feel like I need to give a little bit of an explanation, maybe before I get into the title of my sermon or actually a thank you to the bulletin producers I found out how accurate they are. Um, the title for my sermon is intended to be love defined by the disciple who Jesus loved. In your bulletins it says live instead of love. So I went back and checked my text message and that is indeed how I send it to Jenea. So that is how she put it in. So thank you for that, for your accuracy. I don't know if that brought any questions to your mind or not when you read that or if you noticed it, but my title is Love Defined by the Disciple Whom Jesus Loved. I'm taking this again out of the book of 1 John as I've been preaching out of that book uh, lately here, this being the, the third sermon I'm taking out of there. So I invite you to turn to the book of 1 John. It's not hard to see this theme come out as you read this book, this, this, this theme of love. He uses the word frequently, not only here in 1 John, but as well as, as the Gospel of John that was written by, by the same man, the Apostle John. Love is um, used by him as a writer in the New Testament uh, more often by far than any of the other writers. And we know that in the Gospel of John, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Why did John choose to identify himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved? Have you ever thought about that? Actually, in his Gospel, he doesn't use his own name. He doesn't tell us that he was a writer, but it is understood and indicated by, by a, number, a number of other ways. But he doesn't use his own name or refer to himself in the first person. It may seem like he is exalting himself to a position of being more loved than others, but that is not his intention, I don't believe, by using that term. Not because he was loved more than others. In fact, John teaches um, against that very idea of, of exalting yourself. If you look in 3 John um, verse 9, he actually, um, in writing to the church there, he um, points out to them a particular man who loved to have the preeminence among them. And, and he's, he's indicating that's wrong. Um, so this is not what, what John was trying to do by referring to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. We know that he was one of three of the disciples who seemed to be closer to Jesus. And that's, that's normal, that's typical in human relationships, that we have some friends that are closer than others. And Jesus had, had every reason to, to have that as well. 
some men whom he spent more time with. John was one of them. It's not that he was um, looking back as he wrote the book of John, looking back and, and, and exalting himself or, or trying to, uh, that he had the attitude of, of being fond of being the first one or a special one. But rather, I think he, he's trying to hide behind that identity of Christ. In humility, he's, he's recognizing that without love from Christ, uh, he would be worthless as a man. He chooses to identify as one who is simply loved by Jesus. And how did John come to this place? That's interesting to think about, and I pointed this out in, in my first sermon when I looked a little bit at some of the history of John, who he was, and his life experiences. So John, we know that he was not always a humble man. He was one of, um, him and his brother James came to Jesus one time wanting a special position in his kingdom, requesting that of him. Um, so John was not always a humble man. We also know that he, along with, um, I think it was Peter, when the Samaritans in one particular town rejected Jesus, they wanted to call down fire from heaven to supernaturally destroy those people who were opposing Jesus. And they, they asked Jesus if they should do that. And he, he uh, did not allow them to do that. There, there too we see that John was perhaps a bit haughty, proud, um, thinking of himself as in a little better position. But that's not who John is as he writes First John, or as he went back and recorded the Gospel of John, recorded those events. Rather, he saw himself as a humble man who was worthless without the love of Christ. All four uses of the term disciple whom Jesus loved, interestingly, are in the context of Jesus' death and resurrection in the Gospel of John. So perhaps it was, as John recalled these events and Jesus' show of love, despite his failures, that he felt unworthy and yet so loved. So how is love defined by this man, this disciple whom Jesus loved? I know I mentioned this earlier that John's writing style here is, is a little more, I call it a little more scattered maybe than some of the other New Testament writers. You notice how he kind of jumps from one theme to another and, and if you just pick out all the verses in 1 John where, where he talks about love, it's just kind of scattered around. So it's a little bit harder for me to, to organize a sermon um, in that, that context with that writing style. But I want to point out to you, um, I think, four ways here that I have that love is defined by John. And just to zero in on one verse, I'm not going to read all the verses that speak on love in this book, but I, want, I think this is perhaps the key verse in the book of First John. And that is chapter 4, verse 7, where he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The reason I choose this verse because I see in here that he defines love in four different ways that I'm going to focus on in this sermon. 
Other verses, of course, back this up. And if you look at every verse in this book that refers to or that talks about love, you can pretty much put every verse in one or more of these categories. Love is defined as a command. Example, 1 John 3.23. This is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Love is defined as a command. Second, love is defined as an attribute of God, meaning it's, it's part of his character. It's who he is. Example there, 1 John 4.8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The third one is identity. Our identity is loved by God. 1 John 4.16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. And then we see that love is an active verb. 1 John 4.11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So it's, it's a word that it, it produces a result. It does something in our lives. It changes us. And we see all four of these in 1 John 4.7. Beloved, let us love one another. There we have the command. For love is of God. There we have the attribute of God being love. And everyone who loves, there we see the action, love being put into action, an active verb. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And there we see the identity that we have in Christ, being loved by him, knowing him, being with him, because he loves us and we love him. So I think this sequence is significant as well. Command, attribute, identity, and active verb. As we come to Christ, we experience his love in these four steps. And I want to describe that to you as we look a little deeper into each of these four ways that love is defined by the disciple whom Jesus loved. Number one, a command. We know that the law is a list of commands. And the command here to love is an imperative. It's absolutely necessary or required. Romans 4.15 tells us the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. So first of all, as we come to Christ, we realize that we are lawbreakers, that we are sinners. We are commanded to love, and yet our sinful nature does not love. Before we can come to Christ, we need to realize that we are lawbreakers, that we have not kept the law, that we have sinned, and because of that sin, uh, we are guilty. We're under condemnation. Without the law, there would be no definition of wrong, nor any standard of what is right. We sometimes tend to think of the law as a negative thing, as something that is in the past, is in the Old Testament, and yet... Jesus talks about the law in the New Testament. Yes, some of those requirements that the children of Israel had do not apply to our lives today, but Jesus came to fulfill the law, and we still live under the law and should be thankful for that, because without the law, there's no definition of wrong, nor any standard of right. Nor would we see our need of a Savior We need not fear the law. 1 John 5, 3 says, This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. 
But we don't need to look at the law as a burden. The command to love should not be a burden. And yet, in our sinful state, we find that it is a burden. We find that we have not been able to keep that law and are guilty because of it. Also, Romans 5.20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, and where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. As well as Galatians 3.24, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So here we see that we do not need to fear the law. Without the law, without sin, without condemnation, we would not see our need of a Savior. It was our tutor or our teacher that brings us to Christ. And where sin abounded, as pointed out by the law, grace abounded much more, is what Paul tells us in Romans. I think of the Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler in Luke 18. This uh, man, who we don't know his name, but it's just simply described as a rich young ruler, he came to Jesus asking... Uh, What do I need to do to be saved? I think is what his, was his question there. Let me just turn quickly to Luke 18. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Was the question that he asked Jesus. Jesus' response to him was, you know the commandments. Don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet. And he gave him the, a list there. The rich young ruler's response was, all these things I have kept from my youth. I have done what the law has asked of me. I've kept it. Then Jesus says to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. The man walked away. This was more than what he could do at this time, at least, as far as we know. He realized he was guilty. He could not keep the law. Jesus' law was more than just doing a list of things. But Jesus was concerned about where his heart was. There was another time where a lawyer came to Jesus questioning him, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus replied, to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Here too Jesus shows us that there is a law that we cannot keep. So love is a command, and we find it difficult. We find it a burden. This draws us, or should draw us, to Christ. Second, love is an attribute of God. God is love. Not only is it a quality that he possesses, but it tells us that it is who he is. Love is not defined in anyone or anything else except in Christ. Today we hear love used in a wide, uh, a wide number of ways with different meanings and very um, shallow meanings perhaps compared to what, how John defines it here. Love is who God is. Let's not forget that as the world uses love in 
a variety of ways. Since love is who he is, love is what he does. God is love. When we believe by faith and come to him, our faith grows as we experience his love. So we, we realize, because love is a command, and we haven't been able to keep that command, we realize we need God. God is love. We need him. As we come to him, believing by faith that, that he is love, we don't always feel that. We can't always see that, that God is love. But we believe by faith. And then our faith in him grows as we experience his love in fellowship with him. God's love is always a sacrificial love, a giving of himself. This, too, is very different from the love that the world describes. It's always a sacrificial love. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We know love, not by the teachings of Jesus and the miracles he did, so much as by his sacrifice, by his giving of himself. Yes, we saw how he loved people when he left us an example in his life here on this earth. But by his sacrifice, ultimately, he showed us what love is, by giving himself. <clears throat> Thirdly, love is our identity with Christ. We are loved by him. We, too, are disciples who Jesus loves. It is who we are when we accept him as our Lord and Savior. The Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 26, is Jesus conversation or his prayer with his heavenly father recorded there and he says I have declared to them referring to his disciples your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them so we see there that love is our identity and he also says in verse 23 I in them you and me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Love becomes our identity in Christ, who we are, and then also the world sees that. The world sees that we identify with God, the God who is love. They see that love, should see that love through our lives. Do you identify as one who is loved by God? Is that how you view yourself? Have you accepted God's love despite your sin? He is the only one who can take away your sin. And then the fourth one, love is an active verb. Maybe just a little bit of an English lesson here. What is an active verb? The, the opposite, or the um, opposite isn't the right word, but ver verbs are either active or they are stative in the English language. Stative is, describes a state or a condition rather than an activity. But love we see here as an active verb, not just describing a state or condition, but something that we do. 
Stated versus active can be described like if I would say I like ice cream. Like being the verb is stative. If I say I devour ice cream, that's more of an active verb. It's saying it's not only something I enjoy or something I want, but it's something that that I eat and I enjoy eating. Stative versus active. So there's your English lesson. Love is a compelling force. I'd like for you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We have here um, Paul's, Paul describing love as an active verb in his life. So we know that in Corinthians, Paul spends a good bit of time defending his ministry, defending who he was, his identity in Christ as there was false teachers out there trying to undermine the work that he was doing in the churches. So in that context here in chapter 5, Paul says, and I'll read verses 12 through 15, We do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Paul says our motive is is out of our love for God. That is what compels us. That is the active verb in our lives. That is what motivates us. A love for you, a love for God, and a love for God's people. Despite what the false teachers were saying here, Paul's motive was love. It was an active verb in his life. Is love a compelling force in your life? 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And in chapter 4.20, if someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. We are liars if love is only a stative verb in our lives and not an active verb. Imagine the story of the Good Samaritan. If that Samaritan would have showed love as a stative verb. He would have came walking along that highway and seeing that poor man laying in the ditch, wounded and hurting. And instead of stopping to help him, would have said, Oh, brother, I love you. Oh, I wish, I wish for you to get better, to feel better. I hope somebody helps you. But love was an active verb in his life. He stopped. He gave up himself. He gave up his money and his time and his abilities to help that man despite who he was. Love was an active verb. We wouldn't call him a good Samaritan if love had not been an active verb. And Jesus came to this earth to show us how to love. And he also left his Holy Spirit then to help us obey those commandments. So love is a command that we find difficult to obey. We find God who is love. We find our identity in Him, and He gives us the ability to then make love an active verb in our lives. 
So that's why I'm saying that I find the order here in chapter 4, verse 7. I find that order that is given there significant. That first of all, needs to be a command. And then the attribute, then the identity, and then the active verb. The law gives a command to love, but then the lawgiver also is love. And he draws us to him. He makes us his own. And then he equips us to obey his command to love. As 1 John 5, 3 says, his commands are not burdens. We are so often accustomed to lawgivers who insist on obedience, but do not assist us in obeying. We're accustomed to lawgivers who look out for opportunities to find us in disobedience and then give us, give us a punishment for disobeying. And many times these lawgivers insist on obedience to the law given simply so that we might serve them. This is the earthly human nature as a lawgiver, but we have a better lawgiver. God gave us this law not because he wanted our obedience to serve his needs, but, but, but because he wanted the very best from us, for us. Immortal bodies that will be in a perfect place with him forever. As the rich young ruler desired when he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That was his desire, to live eternally, to live forever. That is what God wants for us. He's not looking for us to serve him, but he is serving us. God then gave his only son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross as a sacrifice so that we could be forgiven and set free of the condemnation of being a lawbreaker and that we might have the hope of life eternal with him. And then he also equipped us with his word and with his spirit to help us to live in obedience to his commands. What other lawgiver helps us to obey his commands so that we don't need to face the consequences of disobedience? As Paul says in Romans, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul realized the command, and that he had disobeyed, but then found his identity in Christ. So my challenge to you, can you identify as a disciple whom Jesus loved? Is that how you identify? Have you found that love? And if so, does the world see the active love of Jesus in our lives? Will the world see that? May that be a challenge, an inspiration to us. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can open your word and it reveals to us how that you are a God who loves us. You are the God of love. You are love. You define what love is. And you've given us the ability to love in that way. And when we find it difficult, we find that we have failed in keeping your command to love. We can turn to you you offer us forgiveness, your Holy Spirit, your helper, that the world can see your love through our lives. They can be an active verb. 
Help us to display this in our everyday lives, in our relationships, as husbands and wives, as fathers and mothers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and as uh, part of this community in our neighborhoods. May we be faithful in making love an active verb. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.